0: good morning. I'm uh, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. And I want to invite you to to open up your bulletins um, and see there we got some verses. There's a place to take notes. We're going to dive in. We're in a series called uh, The Fine Print, what Christians sign up for. And we're doing this because um, in our lives, um, I think most of us have had some sort of an experience with, with the bait and the switch, right? The bait and switch happens. Um, if you do a little bit of research on false advertising, you can see that there's lots of different ways that people promise one thing, like you're offered something and you sign up and you find out, oh wait, there's, it wasn't free, right? There's hidden fees, there's obligations that weren't clear up front. Um, and so what does everybody say? People always say, make sure you read the fine print. And I think that uh, that's what we're doing here in this series, Um, I've talked to all kinds of people, both Christians and non-Christians, who feel a little bit like they get a bait and switch or there's fine print uh, when it comes to Jesus or the church. And so what we're doing in this series, uh, we don't think the Bible has fine print, but the Bible is so big that some things in it just don't get talked about. Sometimes intentionally, they're sort of swept under the rug, or we hope you don't know about this. Um, Other times, it just takes time to get to all the details. And so... um, What can happen is that someone says yes to Jesus and then finds out a little bit later um, that Jesus says something or did something or the Bible has something in it that makes you feel uncomfortable and you kind of have a sense of like, wow, this is a big deal. Um, I didn't know this coming in and I'm not sure I would have maybe even followed Jesus if I had known this uh, up front and this changes how I feel about Jesus. Jesus. And so, as I said, this happens both to Christians after they've committed to Jesus. This also happens to non-Christians as they explore Christianity, as they get to know Jesus. And so, in this series, we're looking at the fine print. We're trying to say, okay, let's talk about these things that we tend to not talk about um, until after someone becomes a Christian. And so, last week, we started the series and we looked at the, the fine print of inconvenience. Okay? And underneath the umbrella of inconvenience, we have suffering and frustration And we recognize that this characterizes the life of a Christian. When you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, life doesn't just automatically work out, everything's rosy. No, no, no. All kinds of inconveniences, suffering. uh, And Jesus calls us to embrace those things. What's exciting, though, is that Jesus transforms inconvenience, suffering, and frustration into opportunities to fill the world with his sacrificial love. Okay, that's what we saw last week. And so... um, And so I guess I do also want to say that we're focusing this series really on Christians because they're the ones who've committed to Jesus, and they're the ones that are responsible to obey all the fine print. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, you get a pass. You get a pass. The stuff we're talking about today is really talking to Christians. And so it doesn't necessarily apply to you, but what you get is you get an opportunity to sort of listen in on the conversation. You get a chance to listen and to read the fine print before you commit To Jesus, And so, usually when the church talks about Jesus, usually when someone shares with you about Jesus, it's it's good news, right? And oftentimes, especially if you talk to someone who's geeked out about the gospel, they'll tell you that Jesus has done everything for you, right? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Um, That there's nothing that you have to do except to believe what Jesus has already done. That what he's done, he did for you. And so this is the opposite of the rest of the religions on earth. All the other religions in the world have this long list of things you have to do, things you can't do or shouldn't do. But Jesus, it's different. And and here's some Bible verses that you might be exposed to. See, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast or no one may boast. And so we see that salvation is a gift. It's not something that we earn because God doesn't want us arrogant or thinking that anybody is better than anybody else. And so if you are saved, you are saved by God's grace, his favor, and it's a gift. It's not something that you've done. Look here at Romans 5, 18 and 19. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So listen to this. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so what do we see here? Well, We see that this salvation is a free gift, and it comes from Jesus. It's his obedience that makes us righteous. It's his obedience that makes us acceptable to God, perfect in his sight, And so we often say that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. Jesus died the death that we deserved to die. And so in response to our sin, Jesus has done it all, and it's his perfection that makes us saved. And all of these verses, and there's a lot more, but all these verses lead us to conclude with the first verse that's there in your bulletin, which is Romans 3.28, which simply says, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. okay. We just need to have faith in Jesus. To be justified means to be made right with God. He accepts you. He affirms you. He brings you into his presence. He loves you. And it's based on Jesus' work, not ours. We only need to have faith. So people hear this, and some people just think, wait a minute, hold on. I know there's got to be fine print here. But, but other people think, wait, hey, wait, if this is it, I don't have to do anything, sign me up. And there are people who come running to Jesus. They start following him. They're excited about forgiveness. They feel close to God. But then as they read the Bible or as they listen in church or they spend time with other Christians, it's like they begin to read more and get exposed to more. And they begin to feel like, wait, hold on a second. There is something more here. There is something else that's going on here. And as much as you want to say that it's all free grace and it's all what Jesus has done, gosh, it feels like there are things that I'm supposed to do. And if you've ever had that feeling, if you've ever known somebody who's gone through that process, if anybody's resisted Jesus because they've kind of smelled it, sniffed it, you know, from afar, then what you have experienced, what you've seen other people experience is what I want to call the fine print of obedience, Okay, the fine print of obedience, because there are verses. This is what we're going to look at today, because there's other verses that you might have come across. Let me just show you some of them. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Wait a minute, hold on a second. Wait, wait. (laughs) So in order for me to call you Lord, I actually have to obey? That's not what you said before. John 14, 15, again, Jesus talking, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So in math, you know, there's the contrapositive thing, you know, so what is this verse also saying? If you don't keep my commandments, you don't really love me. And then John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This sounds like other, like another, I don't know. Is this odd to you, right? I mean, this is the fine print. Another verse, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Hey, okay, we're good. We're good, right? Belief. All you got to do is believe. got to have faith. But then Jesus goes on. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Ah, Wait, Jesus, you're supposed to say whoever does not believe the Son shall not receive life, right? But you said obey. So you've got to obey or the wrath of God remains on you. Good grief. So it's believe and obey. And this is what leads James to say the second verse that's there in your bulletin. And it's also here on the screen. James 2.24 says, You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And that's kind of confusing, especially when you see it right under Romans 3.28, right in your bulletin. We all that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, but you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Um, This is why the Protestants and the Catholics don't get along. (laughs) The Catholics are like, don't you see James 2? And the Protestants are like, don't you see Romans 3? And the Catholics are like, yeah, but don't you see James 2? And the Protestants say, yeah, yeah, but don't you see Romans 3? And literally they've been doing this for 500 years. I mean, there's other stuff too, but. So, so what do we have here? Looking at all these verses. What started out as free grace then becomes that we are forced to obey. Right? We're looking at these verses. Right, What started out as only believe then becomes obey in everything. This is the fine print, friends. Jesus calls us to obey, and that's actually part of his message. It's part of, I would say it's part of the gospel. And so why? Why does Jesus demand obedience after the gospel says that we're saved by God's free grace only because of what Jesus has done? Well, before I answer that question, I want to ask you a question first. Hey, Jesus does that sometimes. So I want to ask you this question. Why does it bother you so much when someone tells you that you have to obey God? So if I were to stand up and say, or just quote Jesus, where Jesus says, I want you to obey me, and if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why do you call me Lord, and yet you don't do what I tell you? Um, There's something inside of us that kind of, ah, there's something in there, right? There's something where, where if I were to say, look, Jesus says that we have to obey him in everything, that you need to focus the direction of your life on him, and whatever he says, you have to do that. And if he tells you something's right, then guess what? It's right, and you have to live by it. If he tells you something's wrong, then guess what? You have to live by that, and it's wrong, Why does that bother you? I mean, I want you to look into your heart and ask yourself, like, what is it about that that just kind of grates against us? And I think um, this is a question for everyone here. This isn't just a question. You might think I'm just asking this question of non-Christians and people who aren't committed. Um, There are some people who don't want to commit to Jesus because they don't want to obey him. But this is also the case for Christians. This is for everybody here. Because Christians also struggle to obey Jesus. They struggle with wanting to obey Jesus. Okay? Let's just talk to Christians here again. Um, There are a lot of Christians who want to obey Jesus except for sex. Okay? Like, I want to follow Jesus except when it comes to sex. Okay? I really don't want to have to follow his ways when it comes to sex. Um, a lot of people want to obey Jesus unless it infringes on their career or it makes them sort of lose status in the workplace or unless it takes away some of their free time. You know what? Jesus has something to say about my free time. Yeah, he does. He does. Well, I don't like that. Well, I get it. Yeah, I don't like a lot of the things Jesus says too. Um, A lot of people want to obey unless it means I have to be humble and sacrificial in my dating life, my marriage, my family, or with my friends. So again, why are we so anti-obedience? What is it that causes us to not want to obey? I, had, I started thinking about this list, and this list grew and grew and grew, and I was like, dang, I can't go over all these things. So I just wheeled it down to four, and we're actually going to talk more about this um, in the weeks to come and in the fall. I think some of us think this, I mean, these are reasons we resist, right? Reasons we resist obedience. Some of us think, well, my sin's just not a big deal. It's not hurting anyone. You know, where God says I need to obey, I don't think it's a big deal. And so not obeying God is not a big deal. A lot of people think about this in terms of their sex life, with sex outside of marriage, with cohabitation, with masturbation, um, homosexuality, and then even in the areas of cheating on your taxes or stealing a little bit uh, from your company. Um, You think, my sin doesn't hurt anybody, and so why does God make such a big deal about it? And we think that way, and we think, all right, so I'm good. It's not a big deal. Some people think, well, wait, God forgives, so why does obedience matter? you ever thought this way? If God is so willing to forgive, then he must not care, so why should I? I know I can ask for forgiveness. It's not a big deal. Sometimes we think, you know what? My life is so busy, the, I, I just can't add obedience to God. I mean, it would crush me. Right? Focusing on obeying God would just be my undoing. And I think most of us in our hearts would actually, I mean, if we're honest, would say when it comes down to it, I just don't want someone else in charge of me. And I think this fourth one is actually just um, the summation of the first three. You know, the first three are expressions of the fourth one, because saying that your sin isn't a big deal is saying that you're the one in charge of determining what's a big deal and what's not. Appealing to the fact that God forgives you and deciding you don't have to obey, um, that's you deciding that you don't have to obey, even though God commands obedience. But you know better. You're in charge. Um, and then saying that your life is too busy is really telling God, look, I'm in charge of my time, not God. And if you want something that I don't want to have to give you, well, then I win in that. Now, the biggest problem with these ways of thinking... Um, is that really what these mean is that you're building your life around yourself, okay? And when you build your life around yourself, that leads to selfishness, I mean, in some ways, that's the definition of selfishness, right? You're putting yourself first. If you put your needs ahead of other people or the people around you, um, when we are in charge and not God, even... Even sometimes when what we want is good, it's still our desires that are in charge. Our desires are our God. Okay, does that make sense? And so again, um, and then to say it just a little bit different way, even when what we do is good, we might do something good for someone else, but the reasons why we do it might be bad. Because if we're living for ourselves or our desires, even if you think, gosh, I really want to be the kind of person that sacrifices for other people. I really want to be the kind of person who uses some of my time and devotes my time to serve in the church or in the community. I want to be a good person. Um, If you're doing that as a reflection of the fact that you are in charge of your life, then what you're doing is the exact opposite of the kind of love that God is bringing into the world to fix it and to heal it. Okay, if you weren't here last week, listen to the message from last Sunday because there we talked about how what God is doing, that the mission of Jesus is to bring into the world a love that is intentionally committed to disadvantaging yourself so that others might be advantaged. That's why Jesus came, was to bring into the world a love that is a love that is truly sacrificial. Jesus came and revolved his life around us. He didn't revolve his life around himself, and he was God. And if that was the plan and the path for God, Jesus invites us to live that way. And when we're in charge, fundamentally we're not doing that. When we're the one in charge, when life is about us and our needs, and we are not bringing that kind of love into the world. And so either you spend your life pursuing your own happiness goals and you never achieve them so your life gets wasted pursuing stuff that actually isn't going to help, or you actually achieve your happiness goals only to find that they can't actually satisfy you over time. You get what you want and you're like, oh, is that all there is? And then you aim for something else. And so this idea, this living for ourselves, being in charge, it causes damage. It damages us, it damages our souls, it breeds selfishness, not only in our own heart, but it breeds selfishness in our friendships, in our families, in our relationships, if you're dating, if you're married, it breeds selfishness in the workplace, because what's happening is we're just adding to the selfishness that characterizes just about the whole world. Instead of us being in that place, being different. Instead of us entering in with a renewing power that comes from a willingness to absorb hurt and pain and not dish it back out. Instead of being willing to put other people's needs ahead of ours and so bringing that love into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods. We're just adding to the fuel of the self-centered living that characterizes everything. Uh, I was reading about, um, is it Alfred Nobel, you know, with the Peace Prize? Uh, The Peace Prize came uh, because Alfred Nobel realized, like toward the end of his life, he realized that, man, some of the things that he created for good were actually used to create incredible harm. He invented dynamite, I think, in the context of mining, to make mining easier. Never, ever thinking, never, ever wanting Uh, for that to be used to try to to build gunpowder and armaments and and machines of war. Um, Nobel also, I did a little bit of research, he was also, so he wasn't as pure as this. I mean, he came to this at the end of his life. He was also instrumental in turning uh, one of his, a company from an iron and steel producer into into a company that made weapons of mass destruction, and so, but he realized at the end of his life that he wanted to do something to fix what he had done. But so he had created these things and they got used for the wrong reasons. And friends, I think this is kind of how God feels. Um, God has created us and he's filled us with love, he's filled us with a desire to serve, he's put his own image, he's stamped us. We have the image of God, we are the image of God, and yet we use the power that he gives us. We use the authority that he gives us. We use the choices that he enables us to make and we turn inward and we serve ourselves. And so this is part of the sort of the downward spiral of living for ourselves, of putting ourselves in charge. And, and, and the truth, here's the truth that we fail to realize. Okay, here's the thing that I think will cause us to sort of hit the bottom, and then turn around, um, and we can see how the gospel speaks to this. Obeying gives power to the one we obey. Okay, we get that. If you obey someone, you give them power, but then obeying gets power from the one that we obey. Okay, this is truth in the world. Obeying gives power to the one we obey, And obeying gets power from the one we obey. When you obey someone, you are giving someone power in your life. You're giving them authority. What happens, though, is that you then get the power of your authority. Okay? Um, And so what do I mean by this? Um, What I mean is that if you obey someone and you get their approval, um, that approval actually means something. Um, think about all of the movies, uh, not all the movies, but you know, so many of the movies that, that we watch um, have themes in them of children that are longing for their, the approval of their parents. Right? So just think about the approval of your parents, and, and so often it's, it's with the dads. The dads have this approval thing that they totally misuse and abuse, and they hurt their children. Their children spend their whole lives trying to get somebody to approve of them. Um, when you get approval... Like, there's power in that. If you do something in obedience to someone, oftentimes you get rewarded by them. Sometimes it's just their approval. If it's a company, if it's a boss, they're going like to literally pay you. You get rewards for your obedience. You get power in the form of money and compensation. And so here's what happens. If you're the one in charge of your life then you are only as strong as the power that is in you. Okay? And there's there's a loop. I had a photo of this. I couldn't find it. I'm so sorry. So you're going to have to imagine. It won't be very difficult. But imagine an extension cord that's plugged into itself. And that's us when we're in charge of our lives. We're drawing power from what we have inside now, some people can do this and are actually pretty successful at it. Some people have all kinds of power inside of them. They have confidence, they have drive, they have tenaciousness, they have energy. And so they can get by pretty well just plugged in to themselves. Um, and it's, it can be great because you get your cake and you eat it too because you're in charge, you do whatever you want, and you're strong enough to keep going. The challenge, though, comes when you hit empty when you hit empty or if you fail because at that point you're hopeless because if you have nothing I mean I guess maybe a better thing is like I have one of those tablet computers right and I can plug my phone into it and charge my phone from my tablet right but if my phone never mind (laughs) never mind I think you have all experienced this in personal relationships Um, When you are struggling with something and you let someone else in, what happens? You open yourself up and you tell them. You confess something that you're struggling with. You come to someone for advice and help. You are opening yourself up and you're actually letting them speak into your life. You are giving them authority to know you well and to speak truth or to offer some sort of comfort. um, And that's what happens. As you seek their input, their influence, their comfort, their understanding, when they give that to you, you get power. Right? When you confess something to somebody, when you tell somebody, hey, I'm really struggling with this, I've got this issue from my past, and I haven't been able to kick it, it continues to dog me. And when you bring it up to someone and they don't hate you, right, but they understand you and they love you in the midst of it, you get power. And it's because, in a sense, you sort of put yourself under their authority. It's a form of obedience. Now, what's funny is if they tell you stuff you don't want to hear, then you just sort of dismiss them. You kind of unplug, do your own thing, and then any power they could give you is gone. And so I want to show you a verse from Romans 6 that, that talks about this. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And you have choices here, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so what this verse is saying is that whatever you obey becomes your master. Okay, you can choose to obey sin, you can choose to obey selfishness, and you will live by whatever power those things can offer you, but they will become your master. Or you can obey God. And you can live for God and then he becomes your master and he actually gives you power that leads to righteousness. And righteousness can be defined in lots of different ways. Um, I think one of the most helpful ways to think about a righteous life is a life that matters. It's a life that makes impact. It's a life where you're doing the right thing, but you're doing the right thing in a way that, that matters and impacts people. And so this, this is where I think we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus because the one who asks us to obey in everything, the one who commands us to obey, is actually the one who came and obeyed first. Okay? Think about Jesus. Look to Jesus because he can lead us in this path. The Bible says that when Jesus was here living on earth, he lived perfectly, but it was excruciatingly painful for him. Okay, When he suffered, Jesus ran to his heavenly Father with prayers, with supplications. The Bible says with loud cries and tears. And he cried out to the one who could save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his obedience. He was heard because he ran to God and threw himself at the feet of God. In Hebrews, it says this. It says, although Jesus was the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And because he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe him. So what is it saying? This is saying that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that is just like you. Only he suffered even worse. Um, Jesus, uh, he lived and was tempted in every way that we're tempted, and yet he never sinned. He never gave into it. Instead, he ran to God. He ran and, and said he, he became um, a slave of of, um, of thank you of righteousness or he, he was a slave of obedience, he, he was enslaved to obeying God. He says, like, I'm only going to do the things that my father has told me to do. I'm only my will is to do, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And in his life, by becoming perfect, he becomes the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Jesus lived for us, perfectly obeying the father, in all of the places where you have failed, in all of the things that you have done wrong, Jesus never did it wrong, right? That's just, that's the what. In terms of the why, like the motivations of your life, where you have been motivated, and so have I, to live selfishly. When you've been motivated to live for wrong reasons and and for wrong goals, Jesus was always motivated by a desire to bring a love into the world where he was sacrificing himself so that others could be made strong, so that others could be shown the way, so that others could be touched with this love, so that this love would control them, so that they would be filled with this love and then turn around and spread it. Others. Jesus was always motivated by love. And so instead of our sin, which leads to death, Jesus' obedience actually leads to righteousness. It produces life. It injects this love into the world that is contagious. And so this is his life. And then in his death, he was obedient. Philippians 2 says he was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And so Going back and thinking about our sin doesn't matter. Right? Well, actually, according to Jesus, it does. That our sins are what put him on the cross. Our sins mattered so much to God. I mean, God is, is struggling because he loves us, and yet our sins demand a punishment. And so God is torn between his love and his holiness, his justice and his mercy. Right? And so the solution is to send his own son that God himself came and endured the punishment for our sins so that God's justice could be satisfied, so his wrath could be satisfied and he could shower us with his love. I and mean, this is the obedience of Jesus. It shows us how much our sins matter. And then in his resurrection, Jesus didn't just rise for himself, but in his resurrection, Jesus passed through death, conquering death, And entered into eternal life. And now Jesus pours out on us. Jesus comes to us with all of the blessings of his resurrection. And he gives us new life. He tells us that we are forgiven. He assures us. And so when you think about the kind of life that really matters. No life matters more than Jesus's. And Jesus lived not for himself. But he lived to obey the father. And so he did this for you, and he did this to show you where real life is, where real life can be found. And so this is what he has done. This is all that he has done. Before you were born, this was finished. And he did this so that you would have his power, so that you would live with his ability. You would live with his love and his obedience this is good news. The Bible says that you have this already. And if you're like me, you might ask, well, wait a minute. You say I have it. I don't feel like I have it. Right? Anybody feel that way? Boy, that sounds really good. I get the Jesus part, but I don't feel that way. How do I experience that? The answer is, obey. Obey. If you want to experience the power of Jesus' authority in your life if you want to experience the power of Jesus obey and you're like wait hold on that's the problem I can't obey right I can't obey that's the whole problem if I could obey then I would obey and it's like well really truly honestly really is the problem that you can't do it let me argue with you for just a second when you say, I can't, I think the Bible says that's a lie. That's a lie. And I would argue with you by saying this, look, could you, think about this area where you struggle. Think about this. It could be a habitual sin. It could be an addiction. Um, It could be porn. It could be masturbation. It could be snapping at your kids. It could be responding wrong to your spouse. It could be controlling the people around you at work. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. We have these habitual things that we do, at least I do, um, and we struggle with these things. And so here's my question. Could you do it right once? Could you do it right once? The next time you're in that place. At the next time, and it could be that that place, it could be that you need to, to to, do it right before you get to that place, right? In my own life, there are sins that I will commit. You know, there's there's a point of no return that I've identified in my own life with some sins where it's not an issue of if I'm going to sin or not, it's when I'm going to sin. I haven't sinned yet, but I will. I know I will. I'm heading in that direction. And so... When I say, can you do it once, I'm saying, like, analyze the anatomy of the temptation and the sin that you struggle with and ask yourself, can I obey once? Because if you can, then you can. Okay? Now, I know there's a huge difference between saying, and I've done this before, okay, I did it tonight, and I was okay, But the idea of me never doing it again is ridiculous. Like, I've thought that way. If you're feeling that way, I don't blame you. I'm with you. I understand. I'm not talking about every time for the rest of your life. All I'm trying to say is, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, man, then walk in love. Walk in love. Um, I I want you to see... Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. This is also in your bulletin, but it's up here on the screen. Look at what Paul says here. He ties in obedience and where our obedience comes from. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, he's not meaning perfectly there, he's just saying like, as you have obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what we see here is that Paul is saying, look, work out your salvation. And I think here is where obedience and belief come together. Paul isn't saying do this by your own strength. Paul isn't saying obey because Um, because you have the ability apart from Jesus to do this, and you know better, so get on with it. Paul is specifically commanding you. He's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, you don't have what it takes to obey. In some ways, apart from Jesus, you can't. But guess what? You're not apart from Jesus anymore. Paul says that God is at work in you. That God's work in you started with forgiveness. It then continued with adoption. God loves you exactly how you are with no strings attached. God loves you and affirms you and he takes you exactly as you are. And then he begins to work inside of you. He begins to work into you new life. What does he does, He unites you to Jesus He connects you to Jesus, and so he takes Jesus' love, and he pours it into your heart. He takes Jesus' patience, and he pours it into your heart. The Bible says that your old self, who you are apart from Jesus, died, and God has raised you from the dead and given you Jesus' resurrection life. And in these verses, Paul says, that God has worked into you. Now, work it out. Work it out. And so this is what we're aiming for. And so when you think, going back to our list of reasons why we resist, if you think, well, my sin is not a big deal, right? It's not hurting anybody. Where God wants me to obey isn't a big deal. If Jesus says it's a big deal and he had to die for your sin, then it is a big deal, And Jesus is saying, work out the salvation that I've given you. I don't command you because I want to dominate your life. I command you because I want you to experience abundant life. I want you to be set free from your sins. I want you to be set free from a life, man, that just from a life that doesn't matter, from a life that doesn't help anybody, from a life that's that's not, I want to set you free from that life of selfishness. and the idea that your life is so busy that you can't add obedience, Jesus would say, gosh, you know what? The only thing that's ever going to make you happy is if you work out the salvation that I am working in you. When you do that, you will experience a satisfaction and a joy that will be real and will be like ongoing no matter what happens in your life. So you can spend your time and your effort chasing after your your happiness goals or you can work out your salvation. You can follow me in obedience and you will experience joy and happiness. In the point of saying, look, I just don't want somebody in charge of me, Jesus would respond and say, I get it. To have someone else in charge of your life is the road to suffer. And Jesus would look you in the eye and he would say, yeah, it is difficult and it is painful and it will lead you to do things that you would not choose to do. But then Jesus would look you in the eye and he would say, but guess what? I would never do it any other way and neither should you. When we live for God, when we live our lives in obedience to him, God will use your life to change other people forever. You know, um, people struggle a lot by sort of trying to figure out how does obedience and faith work together? Like, how is it that you have to believe and then you're justified without anything that you do, but then there's this obedience? How do these things fit together? And I think that what's most helpful to bring these things together and the reason, and this is really why Jesus calls us to obey, Um, the reason why he tells us to obey him in everything is this, when you start a relationship with Jesus and you confess your sins, what you might be doing is thinking, I've done a lot of bad stuff and I need to get this stuff right, so I have to confess it so God will forgive it. That's going on and that's true. That's true but actually there's something bigger going on in truly confessing your sins. What you're really truly doing is you are actually turning the direction of your life toward Jesus, okay? Confessing your sins is simply one way that you are saying, I've been living in this direction and I am not going to live in this direction anymore. Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. And so I'm confessing that I've been living in that direction. I've been living in that direction. I've been living in other directions, but not in your direction. And I am turning. I'm confessing that, and I'm going to follow you. That's what real faith is. That's what saving faith is. If you have not done that, if you haven't turned the direction of your life to follow Jesus, then you haven't truly confessed your sins. Okay, you need to do that. And there are some of you who call yourself Christians, and you haven't done that. If you understand, though, that that's what repentance is, it's turning the direction of your life to follow Jesus, then obedience makes all of the sense in the world when it comes to faith. Okay? Because to do this, you're trusting. You're saying, Jesus, I believe that you're right. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, because of what you've done for me, I can now trust you because you gave your life for me. And if you're willing to do that for me, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, right? That's faith. That's saying, God, I believe that you're going to accept me based on Jesus' death and his resurrection, his perfect life, not my own. That's faith, okay? But then obedience is simply saying, in the rest of your life, Jesus, I'm going to continue to follow after you. And so our obedience is simply our daily, hourly, moment-by-moment, Continuing to focus our lives in the direction of Jesus. Disobeying is saying, I'm gonna go do it this other way, right? But obedience is us continuing to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I trust you. To follow Jesus is to have faith. To obey Jesus is to believe that what he says is right, that who he is is right, and that his life, the life that he calls us to live, is the life that God has designed us for. And so I want to invite you, I want to invite you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would invite you to follow Jesus, to turn your life into his direction. If you do that, he will give you his power. Christians, if there are areas of your life because you know, if you're like me, sometimes it's, all right, Jesus, in these areas, I'm going to follow you except for these couple of areas. You know, I want you to take all of that and bring it to the foot of Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't just want to confess that I've done bad stuff, but I actually want to turn my life in your direction. I want to turn this area of my life into your direction. Do that and see the power that he unleashes in your life. To really do that, you need to go to Jesus, but you also need to bring somebody else in with you. Someone else needs to know that you're doing this. And so you not only need to go to Jesus with this, but pick someone else in your life that you can say, listen, here's an area of my life that I have not been following Jesus and I'm turning this area toward him. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you ask me how I'm doing? Friends, that's how we experience his power where obedience becomes really his blessing for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you can take things like obedience and tie them so closely to the gospel um, that it moves us. Jesus, we come to you, some of us acknowledging that our entire life is not being lived in your direction. Others of us, have certain areas of our lives that we are, we are the ones in charge. And we want to come to you and confess that. Please forgive us. And please show us the life that you want us to live. As we turn toward you, Jesus, give us your power. That power that starts with your approval and your love and your acceptance. Give us your own obedience to the Father so that we might have the strength we need to follow you in every area of life. We pray this in your name. Amen.